Holy Father, I do pray that you surround us at all times, not when we are in times of trial or pandemics or the dark, but especially even when we are in the good times in the light, whenever they are, whenever they come, wherever they'll be. We pray, God, that we seek your will always and that you always make your surrounding presence known in our life, by our life, and through our life as well as through your Spirit in our hearts and minds. Be with us this time as we turn our matter, our minds and hearts to your word and pray that, as always, your people are convicted, encouraged, whatever they need be, but that above all, your truth is preached and you are praised. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I'm getting used to this again, so if I'm not as smooth as I used to be in my, old, my younger days, forgive me, but we'll get there. I do want to jump right into this real quick. Uh, guys, I do need your participation as well as everyone at home as I thought about. Well, let me do this first so that way we can all get on it. Oh, no. That's unfortunate. When I changed the PowerPoint, it, uh, it changed the slide. So I guess I won't do this. <laughs> there's nothing like... Actually, Frank, real quick, if you can go into the main thing and just, there's two boxes and click them white. Nope, that's not... Okay, right there is fine. <laughs> All right. Right here, you can kind of see it, and for use at home, go. If you have a smartphone, I'm sorry, I couldn't get the text version of this. Go to VVox, pull out your phones. The preacher's telling you to pull out your phones, and you at home. Go right here to this. Uh, oops. No, shoot. Ah, there we go. Man, I'm messing up all over the place. I'm not as smooth as I used to be. Oh, well. Let me just do this one then. Uh, right here, go to VVOX, V-E-V-O-X, period, A-P-P, and put in this number. It's 116-700-491. So I meant to have that up. I'm sorry I missed that. But this is the way I was thinking to try to bypass the distance to involve us here as well as those at home. And this is a little tricky because we have a little bit of delay. But I guess these next two will be okay. And, uh, and actually, these are the questions I was really curious in. Vvox, V-E-V-O-X dot A-P-P, and then put in this number. It's 116-700-491. And you should get a little screen that says the title of it and then a welcome screen. I'll go ahead and actually start the poll. So what I want you to do, both in here and at home, is to answer this question. Put in as many words as I would ever come up uh, in your head. What is a word or words that describe your outlook of the rest of this year? And keep in mind that I do have to talk a little bit while you're doing this to allow for people to answer. This year, I need not remind any of you, has been a year for the record books. I don't know about you, but I've struggled in some ways I didn't anticipate. I don't know about you. I have grown in some ways I did not anticipate. There were challenges unforeseen, not just in the big ones, but challenges unforeseen in the midst of those big ones. There were victories of which, perhaps, had I not gone through this year, 
I would never have had. This year is one that we will always remember, if nothing else. I'm going to give it a little bit longer to try to make sure that the people at home with the delay can get there. And I considered trying to say a few things about how I felt, but then obviously I realized that that would have prompted you a little bit, and so I'm trying to avoid that. If this goes how I think it will, I think there'll be, well, I won't even say that. We'll give it just a few more seconds. I don't know how many of you have struggled with the same things I've struggled with or have succeeded in the same ways I have. I know a few of you from talking. I know some of you have gone through a lot of things. As I have tried to preach this year, it's not so much that God will make everything good for us, but yet even in the midst of what we go through, God can work all things through us for his good, for his purpose. Let's see. We'll call that good. And I'll try to put the next one up really quickly and talk a little bit more so that way the, uh, the next people can do it. All right, I'm going to cut it off here in just a few seconds. What this is going to happen is that your response are going to come up into a word cloud. And whatever uh, words are said will come up here. Any words that are repeated will be bigger. So I'll give it five, four, three, two, one. Let's see. And hopefully this works, otherwise this will all be for, uh, for nothing. There it is. What stands out? Hopeful. But what's in here as well? Let's see. Got it work? Oh no, I pressed the wrong button. <sighs> Again, I gotta get used to this clicker. Uh, difficult. Christmas is coming. <laughs> the ultimate hope. There we go. But look, but look in here. Hopeful is the biggest word, which I really enjoy. But also look at what's around it. We have challenging, resilient, bored, wary, unknown, restraining, lonely, needs, I assume. Unless you really have a problem with multiple neds. <laughs> Tentative, cautious, be better, patience, perseverance, disappointed, anxious, fear, needs, correctly spelled, work, reflection, concern. I had a feeling I'd go like this. Now, you have to take my word for that. Most of us are feeling hopeful, but yet, while we want to believe in that hope, what surrounds it? Fear, caution, trepidation. Now, humor me with this one. What is a word or words describing your relationship with God currently? As Jordan even said a few minutes ago, this has been a wonderful year to hang out on the extremes, either to use this time to pray to read your Bibles more, to grow closer, or to either become so bored that you don't do that, or so busy that you don't do that. I've had a little bit of both, I will admit. Anyone remember in the first few weeks of this COVID thing to where some of us were going, hey, this is kind of nice to slow down and be not at work and at home. And then about four months later, you're like, all right, we can do something else now. And now, how many people's lives have picked up even arguably more busy than they were before? Mark's honest. Especially I'm mindful of teachers who now not only have to do their curriculum, but now create online stuff every day. Now, I thought I had a bad. I only do this once a week, and it's bad enough. 
I'm mindful of medical professionals, of first responders. Everything is more complicated. What that does whenever we have those things in life is that it either probably does one of two things. Either it reinforces what we need most or it pushes away what we never had dear to begin with. Now that's blunt, but I think we know it to be true. We'll give a few more here. More minutes. All right, it is up on the live stream, so I want to make sure we had a chance to get everyone's involved. And there are people from all over. I can see how many responses. I don't know if you can. We've got 43, 44. How is your relationship with God currently, in the midst of even looking forward to be hopeful, in the midst of the trepidation? We'll give 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's see. There are some ones that stand out. Right button. Trusting, encouraging, close, hopeful, dependent, loved. But once again, notice what's all around it. Those neds will not go away. I don't know what to say about that one, but <laughs> look what's around it. Tentative, minimal, different, distant, unknown. Repentance, concern, thirsting for him. Unstable, right next to kingdom seeker. Changing, right next to dependent. Stronger than before. Stagnant, rocky, clinging to God, growing, back burner. Sabbath, we'll talk about that today if we get to it. Faith-filled, connected, deeper. All over the place. Plus some to stand out. You have to take my word for it once again. I expected this. There to be a trend. And I suspect that some of these words in here are from what people think they should say. Once again, we see some hope, but surrounded by the fact that we're all over the place. This is our congregation, brothers and sisters. This is our congregation in the midst of COVID, in the midst of pandemic, in the midst of continued isolation in the midst of life. In a weird way, we have been through a period of exile. We have been exiled from close relationships, from social gatherings, from worshiping at our building, which is an aspect of it, from community, sometimes even from family, from medical conditions. We have been through a period of exile, And so that's why looking at today, what to preach, praying about it, talking about it with the worship team, I settled preaching through the book of Haggai. Because who Haggai is, is that he is someone, a prophet, who speaks at a very particular time, in a very particular way, to a very particular cause. Quick history lesson. In 536 B.C., the two kingdoms of Israel and Judah split. Solomon's sons, the sons of the wisest man who ever lived, didn't get inheritance from their dad. Either that or they chose to ignore it. They split the kingdoms in 936, Rehoboam and, and Jeroboam, which eventually, through the fact that Israel had no faithful kings to God, despite prophets, despite warnings, despite other disasters, Israel was destroyed by the Assyrians in 722 B.C. Judah, on the other hand, as many of you probably know, limped on for a while. They had a few good kings, but eventually even they were destroyed by Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar in 586 B.C., where they were taken away to Babylon and spent the next 70 years exiled. Now, 
as we know, there were hope, there was hope, and were faithful prophets who spoke even throughout this. We know Daniel is there, Jeremiah is there, and they spoke of things which eventually said, yes, Israel will return to the land, yes, eventually, but they also spoke of something much, much bigger, which is something we will unpack over the course of this series. They were sent into exile because of idolatry, mainly, and everything that that implied. What is idolatry? Idolatry is putting something of ultimate value in your heart and mind that is not God. Anything ascribing of ultimate value. I've described it like this in the past. If if only I had this, then I'll be happy. If only I had this, then I could be content. If only I was like this, then I could do God's will. Idolatry, idolatry, idolatry. If only you had God. Period. After exile, they never struggled with the same idolatry again, although it came in different forms. We have to realize that when it came to the exile in Babylon, Israel and the world had been through this before. If you want to look at it from a big picture point of view, in the garden, though Adam and Eve were given everything in a close relationship with God of trust and given the one commandment of what? You shall not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and bad, which is not necessarily even about do it or don't, but what? Trusting in God that he knows best. They were exiled from the garden. It's interesting because those events directly lead up through Abraham, through Moses, a whole bunch of things, to another exile when humankind began worshiping their own ability in building the Tower of Babylon, or Babel, rather, and in a sense were exiled from each other across the world in confused language. Then they had the exile in the Egyptian uh, time, of course. You could argue in Judges they had uh, a lot of exiles. Exile is nothing new, which makes it all the more potent the fact that by the time they get back from Babylonian exile, Haggai speaks, and what makes what he says so important. Jim already read this, but let's read this real quick again. In the second year of Darius the king, the sixth month, on the first of the day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai to the prophet, to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not come yet to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? And look at what he says. Consider your ways. Israel. You have sown much, but harvest little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. He who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. What is Haggai accusing Israel of? Well, first and foremost, it's very simple. They have returned from exile after 536. This is somewhere in the 520s. We know the date, actually, but I'm not going to get into it in the next sermon. Let's set some foundation first. They have returned from exile... And what they are doing is that they are focusing on their own houses, their own lives, their own properties, their own things, and neglecting the temple of God, which was destroyed by Babylon in 586. And he says something very, very, to an Israelite, in your face. 
And he says, when he says, consider your ways, you have so much, but harvest a little, you even never have enough. That is hearkening back to Deuteronomy and basically saying that your disobedience in this act is as bad as the covenant disobedience of your ancestors, which <laughs> sent you into exile. Why is the temple so important? After all, we tend to approach it with the fact that it's a building, like the church building. And after all, we know that God doesn't just dwell in the church building or in a temple. After all, Solomon himself says, What house could ever contain you, O Lord, in 1 Kings? What makes the temple so important? The temple is important because it is the place which God has set as the place where God's space and human space overlap and interlock. God is omnipresent. He is everywhere, but he has set forth that at a temple, his temple is where his space and human space overlap, interlock. There is something different in the temple space that there is nowhere else. There are particular things that happen. Sacrifice for sins, atonement, forgiveness, repentance happen at the temple as opposed to somewhere else. It's important because that is the place to where heaven and earth, God and man, come together. This is why Haggai is so fraught that they are neglecting the temple because the temple in ancient times was not like our church building as we know it. The church building is where we come, we use for our purposes. As we know, we can do quite a bit without it. Whether we want to or not, not the point. The temple in the ancient Israelite world was nothing like that. The temple was the center, supposed to be, the center of all life when it came to an Israelite. It's the center of morality. It's the center of community. It's the center of, of, of family values. It's the center of everything. The, remember back in the wilderness when the tabernacle was set up, it was set up where? In the center of all of the tribes so that it was at the center of their life. The whole point of Leviticus is that holiness, God's holiness is supposed to permeate each and every bit of your life. There's nothing left out. That was what the temple represented and not just represented but truly was the epicenter for holiness in everything. So by not building it, what were the Israelites saying? I'm half waiting for another phone ring, just because. They were saying, right now my holiness, my priorities, God, are more important than your holiness. Not intentionally, maybe, but that's what came across. They were breaking, Haggai said, the covenant vows. Haggai continues, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build a house, and I may take pleasure in it, and I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, and behold, it came to little. When you brought it home, I blew it away. Why? Because, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with their own house. Therefore the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land of the hills, and on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, and on all their labors. You're like, God, chill out! God's like, no. 
Not because it's just a building, not because it's you're breaking my command, I told you about it, but because you are denying and you are breaking the very covenant which you and your ancestors swore to obey, which what got you in trouble in the first place. It's as if a spouse who cheated on their other spouse, when the one who was cheated on let them back into their house, it's as if the cheater stayed in their room, continuing to talk to other people, and never made an effort to rekindle, work on, and deepen the relationship. So this picture is very appropriate. In fact, this is a rabbit trail. I don't have time for a rabbit trail today, but in Exodus 21, in Ezekiel 16, in Jeremiah 3, in Malachi 3, God actually takes the image of a husband who has been cheated on by his bride and actually names the very things there are actually four things that cause for divorce in ancient Israel. Um, infidelity and withhold, with, with, withhold, with, what am I saying? Withholding this? I don't, you don't give them marital rights, intimate marital rights, food, or clothes. In Ezekiel 16, he mentions all four of them as accusations of Israel's actions against him. God is a cheated on husband. And Israel is not making any effort to restore the relationship. So, what do they do? Jim already read it, and I'm not going to repeat. They get to work. Zerubbabel becomes important in later weeks. Keep him in mind, not just the fact that he's fun to say. They get to work. And Haggai says, I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel. They had someone who is a king a descendant of David in the earthly line to rebuild the temple. Now, why preach about this on this Sunday? You could very easily go to the place of we have been neglecting the building assembly here and we need to work on assembling and we need not forsake the assembly we need to make every effort to meet here no matter what you could go there very easily and you would also be very bad at exegesis because that's not what this is talking about it may be true that's not the point We know, most of us, I think, that Jesus came, and in fact, John 1.14 actually says he tabernacled among the people. In essence, Jesus became the place of God incarnate where heaven and earth met, overlapped, interlocked. And the temple became not just a building where God resided, but a living, breathing human being in which God was manifest. In essence, put another way, wherever Jesus walked, the temple and everything that that meant was visible. In fact, obviously we know the story as Jesus says, I will knock this building, the temple down and rebuild it in three days. And they laughed because this building took centuries and years. He was talking about himself. Comparing himself to Jonah. Jesus knew he was the fulfilled temple 
The thing which all the other temples beforehand would look ahead to and look forward to, but they didn't know it was coming. Jesus, the place where heaven and earth met, where God and man meet. Stay with me here for a minute. What does this mean? It means that the space of where the temple is has changed no longer just a building somewhere we have to go to. The temple has now entered exile with you, in a sense, and become someone who can now come and display the mighty works of God. Whenever there was a healing, whenever there was a miracle, whenever there was forgiveness, whenever Jesus did what he did to fulfill the manifest will of God, that's the temple working. Likewise, Jesus celebrated the Sabbath. Therefore, the temple was celebrated by the Sabbath. Jesus, because he was Lord of the Sabbath, that doesn't mean he just had authority and power over the Sabbath, although we typically take it that way. It means that he is everything that the Sabbath meant to give people the time and place to celebrate what God has done, to rest and be completed by God's working and rest with Him. We know this about the eternal rest that Hebrews talks about. In Isaiah, he talks about these things are fulfilled in your sight. And as I said in Matthew uh, 12, he says, Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Not meaning that I have power over it, He does, but that I am everything the Sabbath represented. And then therefore the Sabbath marked new creation because wherever the temple that this to celebrate Jesus' main goal was to create newness not just refurbish it but to create something truly new 2 Corinthians 5.17 if anyone is in Christ new creation has come that A he is A isn't in the original language what does this mean I'll find upon this a little bit more next week because we're back and I'm going to talk a lot longer if I, if I let myself. It means that in Jesus, space, time, and matter, space, time, and everything around is different. Because Jesus has become a new kind of temple. Some of you hopefully see where I'm going with this. We, those who believe in Christ, are now the places where heaven and earth meet. Now, this year, instead of saying, hey, we're a temple and we're awesome, this year it probably felt a little bit more like this. Maybe you felt Babylon knocking on your door a little bit. Here's the point I want us to take away from Haggai and take away from Jesus. Which temple do we most need be concerned about today? And by temple, I mean God's people. Are we concerned only about returning to the physical places, to the physical things, to the way it was? Or are we willing to say, consider our ways and do what is necessary to take care of, to care for, and to rebuild 
the current today's temple of God, which are his people. That's the real lesson of Haggai. Because the temple there didn't just represent a building. It represented the very center of where God worked and how people were made holy. Jesus has become that, and by his blood and by his spirit, we now are that as well. To take care of the temple today means to take care of the church. Not the building, the church. What does that look like? Well, it means, and I have more to say on this, I'm trying to wrap up. It means reprioritizing our space, our time, and our things. Not that we do better and not that you devote more time, but to make sure that they are cared for and to make sure that they are in the right order. There are three things that I want to leave you with today. We too, we must build build the temple of God ourselves and each other, as I just said. What does this look like? Well, I want to give you three things to do and to consider that are temple care for this week, much in the line of what Frank said. The first thing, as I've been talking about for a while now, is prayer. And not just praying at the end of church services or praying, but what are my three things? Intentional, penitent, Maybe I only had two things. Intentional, penitent prayer for God's people. There's a project going up today. Many, maybe some of you have already noticed it. There's nothing on there yet, but on our website, right down here, there's a new category called Daily Prayer. Every day, there will be a new prayer prompt, sometimes for the people, sometimes for our congregation, sometimes for the kingdom, in order to unite God's people, in this congregation at least, in prayer for each other, our congregation and for our work in the kingdom. I challenge you, it'll be up not quite sure when, I need to schedule them out. It'll be up probably in the morning before most people get up. Except Frank, he's up at like 4 a.m. I am too for different reasons. I have short people. I challenge you to start checking this out and to begin intentionally and penitently praying for each other and for our congregation. The second thing I challenge you on is this verse. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You know what someone told me one time when I was in a bad spot? They said, Thomas, the only way that you can love your neighbor properly and love God properly is to also love you like you do them. Meaning self-care is important. I challenge you this week to open yourself to what you need And don't just say, oh, I know it'll, you know, give me the little get through this day. How has this year affected you? How are things affecting you with your family? How are they, what are the things that you don't want to say that you need most to say? You don't have to talk to me about it. You don't have to talk to the elders about it. But I challenge you in the spirit of taking care of each other. Take care of yourself. If you have mental or emotional issues because of it, that's okay. Talk to us. We can maybe help you get what you need. Consider what you can do to make sure you're loving yourself as well as God and your neighbor. And number three, I challenge you this week to do an intentional act of care. 
whether that's reach out to someone over text, over call, not just, hey, how are you? Make it an intentional act, something you do on purpose, something you put thought into, much like Frank's thing will work for class. If you weren't here for class, watch the video. It's a good one. Let's begin the process, much like Haggai, of intentionally, on purpose, through this year which has threatened to tear down so much, to start rebuilding not just assembly, not just things as we know it, but help by God's grace and power to rebuild one another in the ways we need, as well as letting God help rebuild ourselves in the ways that we've been maybe attacked by some forms of Babylon. Temple matters are important. Consider our ways. Heavenly Father, hear our prayer that we take these lessons and do what you will with them. Help us be the people we can be in you and for each other and shine your light, not just into the world at times, but also to each other when we need it most. In Jesus' name we pray.